Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. If you enjoy this podcast and align with our mission, we thank you. We also cannot tell you how important it is for you to leave us a review on iTunes or even a like on Facebook. It all strengthens the Radical Research cause. And as always, feel free to write us at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Also, thanks to the handful of people trying to guess what five bands are included in our intro theme mashup. Uh, we can verify that it's definitely not Last Crack or Embryonic Death, although we were pretty psyched that <laughs> our listenership even knows those bands. It says a lot about our folks. We're in very good company with those folks. Indeed. Yep. We also had a really great response to the last couple of shows. We hope that the metal fans who have latched onto Radical Research stay awake and aware for our prog-leaning shows like this one. And it's probably fair to say, Hunter, that our metal is our first love. Yes. And while this podcast exists to exalt the weird elements of, you know, the metal world, we're also fanatics for the great progressive rock scene, especially the stuff from the 70s. And we're going to exalt that from time to time. So let's get underway with this one. Let's. Uh, Hunter, what, what do you recall about being your first entry or entry into the progressive rock world? Let's not worry about Italian prog yet. Um, was there a kinship you felt with the music that you could parallel with your love of metal or other kinds of rock? Or what was it exactly? Yeah, it was probably King Crimson. Um, and I, I heard the same kind of incendiary tendencies in their music that I did in, in metal. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I, I, like, I think for a lot of metal fans, especially fans of the experimental fringes of metal, it's a, it's a pretty lateral move to get into Prague. One, because they share so much of the same genetic matter, but also because a lot of the bands that, in metal that we love are directly influenced by 70s prog bands. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you can hear King Crimson's influence spread across the whole spectrum of metal. Right. Well, yeah, I would, and I would read about bands like Voivod and Fate's Warning and other bands from the, when I was, that I was listening to in the 80s mention these kind of obscure names. I mean, I know that early on Voivod was mentioning Vandergraaff Generator, for instance. Mm -hmm. It was always a name that stuck in my head, and I eventually got into them. They're one of my favorites. I'm a huge fan. So, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. In fact, King Crimson was my gateway. I used to keep a – even before I entered that gateway, when I was quite young, like 13 or something like that, and I was getting into metal – and getting deeper and deeper into what, the, what's, what was called the underground, uh, I kept a tape, a 90-minute cassette tape of stuff that was not metal that I liked. There was, there was 90 minutes of music in my world <laughs> that wasn't metal that had the, had the distinction of making this tape. So that was kind of like my thing at that time. But one of those songs, the first one, I think, was um, 21st Century Schizoid Man, sure. which I just dubbed from FM radio. And um, now they're possibly my favorite band of all time so there you go rush was a never another really big band for me huge and i think um, i think for a lot of people they would they would provide that gateway because they really well had, and they kind of bridged the divide too yeah they had both feet in there uh for for a good while especially you know in their sort of prime which you know we can debate what their prime was but i think everybody knows and we'll move on <laughs> um <laughs> So here we are in Italy between 1973 and 1976. This is what we're going to cover on Radical Research 9. This was an incredibly fertile, prolific movement of progressive rock. And possibly more than any other European country, Italy took to the English prog bands that started all this, especially like Genesis and King Crimson and Yes and Vanagraph Generator. And I think, and you can either counteract what I'm saying or agree if you like, I think they recognize that country's own strong classical tr traditions and opera traditions in the music of those prog bands. Well, yeah. And I, I think in Italy, you had this surfeit of classically trained musicians who were, who also loved rock music and also were feeding off the energy of what was happening in England. 
and had the you know, the technical resources to express themselves. Um, but they they mutated it in really interesting ways. Like the Italian stuff always sounds like swarthier and more dramatic to me than the English stuff or any of the other, you know, continental European prog bands. Um, there, there's just something about it that's like, I mean, and I'm saying that like it's this, this monolithic thing because there's so much um, diversity even within the, the Italian scene, but like there's something unmistakable about Italian prog. Yeah, I mean, even beyond the the Italian sung vocals, and I and I think oh, the no, vocals, no, 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 certainly. Yeah, I think the vocals though are a sticking point for a lot of people, and I'll tell you, my my journey into Italian progressive rock was a negative one at first because I got turned on to this band. I'm not sure. I think maybe Ken Golden or maybe somebody else. I, I know. No, no, it was actually uh, Steve Feigenbaum by by way of Ken Golden. I think that turned you onto this. Picchio Del Pozo. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't take to that. And honestly, after after seeing the light, finally, I haven't gone back to them. I don't know if I'd still like them or not. But it, something about it turned me off. And then, um, I the second band I think I heard was La Conda della Fate, mm-hmm. and Tom Phillips from Wall Heaven Wept had played that for me. He visited visited my house, brought over about five hundred CDs. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. You've heard that story. But uh, <laughs> and and that was the one he chose to play me. And, and I. I don't love that album still. I, I tried. It was one of the first albums I bought. But at the time, I, re- I, remember, I really like that album. Yeah, I remember just thinking it was a little too fluffy, uh, a little too light, a little too symphonic. I, I remember to- thinking that when I was younger, but the, I guess the last like six or seven years, I've gone back to it and I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'll probably have to give it another chance. It was really, and I don't remember what the band was that convinced me. Probably Bonko, probably PFM. Um, mm. But anyway, my, my introduction to Italian Prague was quite uh, anglicized. I think um, my first Italian, the first Italian Prague record that I actually owned was uh, PFM's Chocolate Kings, which if you haven't heard it is heavily influenced by Gabriel era Genesis. And it's a very, very, very good record. What's that? What's a vocalist? Bernardo Lanzetti, I think. Yeah. And, and the lyrics on that album are actually in English, yeah. which made it a little more palatable to my, uh, my unseasoned ears at the time. And speaking of that guy, I, I like his first band, Aqua Fragile, quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. So yeah, so this this episode of Radical Research pays tribute to three bands from the '70s Italian prog scene, who released only one album in the '70s, and that was kind of a thing that happened in Italy a lot too. Was like you'd get these mm-hmm. great albums by these great bands, and they would just disappear. Now other bands like New Trolls and Osana thankfully recorded a lot of albums, but these these guys that we're going to talk about tonight uh, did not. So um, we we think that each should be given deep attention to anyone into progressive rock, and I think one off or not, these are some of the greatest greatest Italian prog records of all time. Yeah, I think we're going to make a pretty convincing case for that. We hope so. Well, um, I, I think that they will make a case for that. <laughs> yes, and, they will. and we'll yeah, pontificate as as best we can. It's all we can do. Yeah. So the the first band we're going to feature tonight, the formidable Semi Ramis, and uh, they recorded one record in the '70s called Dedicato a Fras. It is um, it's raw, it's complex, um, it's heavily textured, it's colorful. I actually have a really vivid memory, and I think I shared this with you back in the day. But I was I was in grad school, and I, I it's I, I'm in, in full disclosure, sort of a semi insomniac. 
Um, so I'm up a lot during the night and it's some, sometimes I just can't manage to get myself back to sleep. And this was one such night and I, I had had just enough sleep to just kind of make me loopy. And I threw on this record and it was like the, the perfect soundtrack to that. Um, because there, there's this like kind of hysterical edge to this album, this, this frenzy, um, and kind of almost a dangerous kind of a, a feel that I just mm -hmm. absolutely love. Mm -hmm. So yep. without further ado, yeah, let's listen to the first snippet for tonight. This is a Luna Park from Dedicato Afraz. There you go. Um, Hunter, I read a, a review of this album and I, I really apologize for not being able to cite it properly. I, I can't remember what it was or who wrote it. And I, and I apologize to whoever did, but uh, they were saying that like, there are 15 albums inside this album, <laughs> but you know, you yeah. know what he's saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and so like, I would say that like yeah. most of my, a lot of my favorite music, has that kind of like comprehensive quality where you can listen to it and it satisfies like your every craving, sure. you know? 
hit ticks off all the right boxes. Exactly. And this is another one of those albums. And I know you and I love cover art. This is one of those albums that sounds exactly like the cover. How do you describe the cover by the way? Cause I mean, I don't love this cover. I, I do like the artwork that accompanies the rest of the album. Like right. the, the, what was in the gatefold. If you can afford, you know, $1,200 to buy the original. Uh, but it comes in the yeah, CD. I got three copies, two sealed. <laughs> One of them sealed. No, it, uh, it comes in the CD too, but the, the gatefold is just amazing. Surrealism, just mm. bizarreness. But yeah, tell me what, what the cover evokes to you, especially in relation to the music. I, uh, sadness, but also um, madness, sadness and madness. There's a knowingness in that guy's eyes. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And he's exactly. He, he's actually kind of a mountain, so... Yeah, I mean, I dig it, but I just, I like the other artwork even more. It works together very well. Yeah, but there's just so many ideas within all of these songs, but it's never, it never feels jerky or never. kind of just too much. It, it works, it flows really well. They just move from idea, you know, idea. Oh, yeah, to I mean, to totally. Idea. And, I mean, listen to that. Like, I love that really lyrical guitar playing there at the end. Sure, um, yeah, totally. Um, and speaking of the, the, the guitarist and really everybody else in the band, um, the guitarist was a bit of a prodigy, but they kind of all were. These guys were the death angel of Italian Prague. They recorded this de- debut. They got together when they were 15. Three years later, they recorded this. And, at, and in between that time, they brought in a guy who was like 16. So they were, they were kind of between 16 and 18 when they recorded this. I mean, that's, that's incredible that's when you hear what we played for you and what we're about to play for you. No, it's ridiculous. Um, I also have to say, I, lo- I love the album production. It's 1973, so it's, it's earthy, but not super raw really evokes the time it was recorded, you know? Which yeah, was- it does. Um, and you can kind of tell that the Italian bands lack the, the resources of their English counterparts. Sure. I mean, most Italian prog albums are a little rougher on the production side, which I actually really think adds a lot to the, the you know, the cumulative effect of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this album sounds awesome. It's, um, yeah, it is rough around the edges, but it's also warm. It has a great impact. Yeah. I want to mention the guy's vocals. To me, he's a really approachable Italian voice if you're kind of just getting into this stuff. He's, he's not overly melodramatic. I mean, Jimmy from Metamorphosi, for instance, he's so <laughs> melodramatic that I think he can be a turnoff to newcomers. And he's even acquired taste for me in terms of like the mood I'm going to be in for that. He's at the deep end of the pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's diplomatic as hell of you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, but we also get a lot of xylophone and I think some vibes on that tune and yes. certainly throughout this album. Yeah, the, I think the, um, the album opens with, with vibraphone. Yep. Uh, uh, amongst other things, but yeah. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and we're going to hear that. Yeah, it's kind of like this like, carnival-esque atmosphere to it. For and sure. I mean that in the, the best possible way. I know that For could sure. be seen as a pejorative, but no, it, it's just, yeah, this, um, I keep going back to like insanity. There's this, like, there's this unstable sense about all this stuff. For sure. I mean, let's listen to another song. This is the, uh, I believe, the third song in the album. It's called Un Zoo di Vetro. Uh, that translates into a glass zoo. And, yeah, insanity. Oh, and, and it's got a very Goblin-esque feel. And, of course, Goblin kind of brought the insane for sure. And, again, the song's ending is a lot of chimes and vibes. So these guys are really incorporating a lot of malleted percussion, tonal percussion into their mixture. And I know you're a big fan of that, right? I am. Okay. And also it must be said that if like Jeff and I, um, you um, are a synth fetishist, there is much to be found in Italian Prague. <laughs> the, the Italians used analog synthesizers 
as well as anyone. Probably oh, better. In, 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 they, they sure yeah, do. Yeah, in my estimation. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, they're they're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to uh, Uno Zoo di Vetro. So to me, that wild alarm sound, it's like panic alarm at the insane asylum or something. And we get that over the top of this crazy, I mean, it's like proto-tech riff or something. It is. Yeah. It's as heavy as any metal. Yeah. And of course, speaking of metal, you get that almost, I would, you know, there's a blast there at the end. Uh, At least what counted for a blast in 1973. There was a band in 1972, uh, also Italian, of course, called Blocco Mentale, who I think it's probably the possibly the first use of really scathing fast double bass drumming. And, right. uh, and I think we hear, uh, you know, him attacking that snare and semi Ramas here. There's just a lot of proto metal moments on some of this Italian stuff. Yeah. I mean, listen to any like Greek black metal record from the early nineties and they use that beat pretty liberally. Yeah. So there must be some, yeah, some Mediterranean thread. Yeah, and also I think we get we start to get like really madcap here, like in, in the vein of like a Zappa or a Magma or a Super Sister. Sure. But you know, it never cool. feels like whimsy to me. No, no, um, not not this album. No. No. This is this is on the more severe side of Prague Italiano. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh next couple songs, you know, uh kind of follow the same pattern. Uh there's there's one called Dietro una porta di, di carta. Uh, it's organ based, although like all these songs, it goes through its own wild maze. And I think speaking of wild maze, we got to get to the song Fraz because um, the snippet we're going to play for you, this snippet goes through a lot in in this short length of time. Yes. What you what you won't hear in this snippet either is a great bombastic passage that takes the song through its um, middle part. Uh, lots of wonderful keyboards and bass work, really nutso. And this this song a little bit reminds me of a darker La Orme. I can hear that. And La Orme is another band that I think people ought to check out. 
especially one the, of the yeah I, one of the more prominent Italian prog bands. I would the Salona e Sarona album is really incredible. Yes. So let's listen uh, to Froz. Let's just jump right into Froz. This is uh, we started about the two and a half minute mark. Get ready. If you're a metal fan and you're sticking with us and you don't know this stuff, I, I'd, be, I'd be really surprised if you're not turned on already because this is just, there's a lot of proto-metal on this. There's a lot of stuff that you'd, you'd find in black metal later or even power metal that sure. last time. Like it, yeah. No, it's, it's like mapping out paths to come. You know, and it's funny because I mentioned Death Angel earlier just in terms of, you know, the age comparison, how young death angel were when they started out recorded their first album uh enslaved Two, especially evar was really young oh, evar was 14 on hordana's land if I'm and yeah and, th- and those guys you know death angel and enslaved great performances from those guys at a really young age but it, it, it's not super surprising that they're metal bands and super aggressive and and although semiramis has a obviously a, a degree of aggression i feel like the the stuff that they're playing is certainly beyond what we might consider to be a 17 year old's capabilities. Absolutely. I would say it's beyond the 25 year old's capabilities. Yeah, no, we don't hear bands that are, that are older um, doing this level of, of, of composition and, and um, demanding performance. Yeah. What, what an incredible album. I'm sitting here blown away again. Every time I listen to this album, I've been blown away and I think it remains 
I, I could probably easily put this up there with Boleto de Bronzo's East album as my favorite Italian prog album of all time. If if I had to pick. You're right. What what do you think? So, um East is yeah, East is probably my favorite. I'm really kind of undecided between this album and the Alpha Taurus record. The yeah. Alpha Taurus record is really, really near and dear to my heart. Fair enough. Um, and it, it's different. It's warmer. It's rounder. Yeah. Um, but still, like, I, for me, those three, kind of the trifecta. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I can't argue with any of that. Final song in the album is called Clown. Needs no uh, translation. The Semiramis album is remarkable for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that always strikes me about it is they are so great with song openings. I mean, these bracing yes. beginnings bracing beginnings where you're just sucked in immediately. You know, they just have you. And um, they didn't bother with the gradual lead in kind of crap, just a wallop of strangeness and angularity right away. Right. Like they don't take any, yeah. They don't take any time to suck you in. They just immediately attack. So begin, just like clowns, just <laughs> don't trust them. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they walk in and bam, you just know you're in the room with a clown and it, it changes the vibe. It does. Yeah. There's another part in the song where an acoustic break kind of tempers the madness. And that's, that's also pretty damn wow. I wish we could play the whole album for you, but um, just go on to Discogs, get the original vinyl for $1,200 and get back to us. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So this is, this is clown. This is quintessential Samiramis. Uh, we're going to jump into the fray in the middle somewhere and let these guys mess up your head one last time. almost too much in that first section um to be like managed by a listener like, like you know the ear has to have priorities and it just skews those completely well i mean okay that but that's that's the appeal of tech metal and you like some tech metal right yeah, i've been known to like tech metal it's okay <laughs> only in a tech metal band but um that's the thing. Yeah, with, it's, it's, like, it's like data overload. Well, a lot of people said about tech metal, whatever you describe as tech metal, we can call it whatever we want. But I think we know what kind of bands we're talking about, the Watchtowers, the Cynics, whatever. Right. They say that it's cold because I think partly because of the attack and how disorienting all the changes are. But to me, the cold is the feeling, right? right. 
the yeah it creates an atmosphere of a different kind absolutely you just have to go into it you know expecting something different um right but yeah you're right man clown is just like, like i said it's quintessential semiramis if there's one track i'd play for somebody it's probably that one it just does everything and it does I mean, it so can you well. imagine any Voivod fan not being like, just not swooning at that, like the first 15 seconds we played? For sure. And that, that's, you know, that re- reminds me of when I heard King Crimson's Lark's Tongues and Aspic. Exactly. Just like, wow. Okay. That's where Piggy got the chords. You yeah, know, you, yeah. Um, you hear the lineage. You hear, you definitely hear the lineage. So we've talked a lot about music in our friendship, right? Yes. A little bit. Fair to, fair to say. Yeah. Here's something we haven't really discussed, and I'd like to just know your thoughts. There are two countries whose bands and music I love so much and so deeply that, and they feature enough bands that sing in their mother tongue that I have seriously considered taking classes in those languages so I can enjoy the music that much more. And that's Good luck with one of them. Guess, guess, guess which the two. Guess which two they are. I'm guessing Norway and Italy. Of course. Okay. Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever been like, I wanna, I wanna know more about all this? Sure. Yeah. I've actually like had that um, thought reading um, like Proust in translation and thinking like how much better it would be if I actually knew French. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And I think that goes for s- certain movies where, yeah, I'm watching this, the subtitles and it's fine, but you, you're not getting everything. No, no, no. I mean, there are just nuances that are lost. Right. Right. Inescapable. I don't think we can say much more <laughs> for Semiramis. I think we pretty much blew almost blew these other two bands out of the water. The, the, the fortunate thing for them is they're so good. These next two albums and bands are so good that uh, yes, they, are. they can hang. The next album is from 1976. We jump ahead three years. Again, the only album that this band ever put out. They're called Corte di Miracoli. Do I have that right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it Dei? Corte dei Miracoli? Or? You can twist your tongue with it. I don't, I don't yeah, even remember there. Yeah. No, it's, Again, it's, uh, and Jeff and I not particularly conversant in Italian. No, uh, Court of Miracles is how it translates. Uh, it's a self-titled album. They were a five-piece. They had bass, vocals, drums, and two keyboardists. Yes. What's missing there? Guitars. I don't know if we've ever talked about this so far, but we certainly have talked about it in different conversations. But there were a lot of prog bands that just never bothered to use a guitar. Right. Well, I mean, I'm thinking Vandergraaff Generator. They were, they, they're, to me, they're the most conspicuous example. Yes. Um, ELP often didn't bother with a guitar, although, you know, in studio stuff, Greg Lake would play guitar, but they weren't really guitar-based. La Orme, also, yeah, Italian band. True. Yep, very true. You would get some acoustic guitars. Yeah, but again, it was never a feature. And I think yeah. there are quite a few Italian bands that just didn't go for guitar. And it's interesting because... Well, but it's... Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, especially if you... You look at Italian Prague in the context of, of a classical music tradition, yeah. you know, where, where the emphasis is going to be more on, on keyboards yeah. uh, or on you know, operatic vocals. And I think that's where the Italian proclivity shows through, right? I think so, yes. In terms of like having come from that tradition, much stronger in, in that tradition than say even rock, but then grafting that onto rock. Like, this is how this is how they ended up. This is how a lot of bands ended up. Was uh, there wasn't a whole lot of guitar in a lot of them, and you know, and you don't miss it even in a rock format like this. Even if it's left field rock like this, you don't really miss it because they are using everything else to best effect. Um, but it's almost like a um, it's like it's a delivery mechanism because if you think about like contemporary music and early twentieth century music, I mean, it was largely dissonant. I mean, you know, everything after Schoenberg. And you hear some of the severity of that 
um, in all this music. Um, but you process it differently because it's you, it like, because it's being conveyed with traditional rock instruments. Right. Um, but, but yeah, it's like, you don't need the guitar necessarily. Right. And for somebody who like, I'll often hear like a sax solo in rock or metal and wish that it, it was just a lead guitar. Like I, I love guitar. It's, it's the greatest, possibly the greatest instrument ever created electric guitar. It's wonderful. I know you're a drummer. You might, you might disagree, but actually uh, drums would be like, no, for me, my favorite instruments, um, analog synthesizers, vibraphones and guitars. Ah, okay. Big vibraphone fan. Not so much with steel drums though, right? Not so much. How do you feel about the flute? Uh, in moderation. Right. I figure we had to mention flute again. Um, I think we're going to have to mention flute every single episode. Although, you know, it's weird. We're talking about 70s prog. Unexpected motif. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of these bands really used much flute, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, the Italian bands seem rather averse to that, in fact. Yeah. Uh, but the Spanish bands more than made up for it. <laughs> Which could, which could uh, um, explain my uneasy relationship with a lot of Spanish. And of course, some of the English bands, because they were forced to in, in their private schooling, right? They were forced right. to play some kind of like woodwind. So anyway, uh, first song on the Court of Miracles album, we'll call it, is Ivera Luomo, uh, translates to And True Man. Yeah, this is insane stuff. I like that it's 1976. It sounds a little punchier, a little crisper than... It is, yeah. Yeah, the production's definitely more developed. Anybody that pays attention to like 70s music knows that recording technology was really advancing by about 72, 73. Um, so by 76, you really started to get a lot of really rich and wonderful evolved. sounds. Yeah. But this is, yeah, this is an incredible open, opening sequence. And we're going op- to play this song from the very beginning. And we'll come back and talk about it. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Peachy. This is like one of my favorite moments in... In like Prague, by the way. Uh, I, I agree. I actually, you I, know, you put you actually put this on a a mixtape for me one time, mm. and I yep. lost my shit. Yeah, I do love this moment. It's why it's why we're going to play this for everybody. It's also why I almost considered this one for episode five, the deadly uh, fusion decapitation or the oh, badass yeah, fusion decapitation episode. It, I can see that. Let's say no more. Let's just listen.
minute or so of that <laughs> really i just like one of the most compelling and deadly things in the history of rock music yeah it's so malevolent and it, it really is man it really with, is. and it's dark but it's got that dark joy that i always associate with like a king crimson or something yeah yeah like an exuberance yeah wow yeah they, uh, let's just stop yeah I'm not going to get any better than that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in yeah, episode it's, it's 10. Been a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but wait, we have more. We'll move on to Verso Il Sole. This is At the Sun. This is even jazzier and even more fusion-y in, in some ways. It's got, it's got these Latin elements. I think we can agree that, um, that Corte is definitely the jazziest of these three bands, right? Oh, for sure. The, you know, the, most, yeah. the most fusionoid. Yeah, they, they seem a lot more comfortable with being jammy and le- kind of le- less tightly composed. Right. Uh, they're not loose. They've got, or, like, the band has such a great chemistry. Yeah. It, it never feels like jammy in a bad way. Um, yeah, and, and there's a, yeah. There's like a kinetic energy between, you know, the, the lot of them. And how do guys get together and do something like this and then just not record another album? I mean, it, certainly a lot of things conspire to make that happen, but sure. what the hell? Yeah, I know. I know you would think that like the, the inspiration that, that drove something like this would at least produce one more record. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, a little bit of research I did on them. Would you describe your research as radical? Um, it was more methodical, <laughs> but that's, that's fine. <laughs> thanks for bringing that up get a, again. Get a pass um, on that. But this, even though this album was a one-off in 1992, their 1973 and 1974 demos were released. I haven't heard those. Oh, well, um, I'm not, I've not heard those. Kind of want to look that up and see if that's still available on CD somehow and, and, and get a copy because this stuff is so good that, and we're sitting here listening to it, wondering why they, how they could possibly not go any further. I'd, I'd like to at least hear what came before it. Let's listen to yeah, uh, Verso. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Wagner always has to know the whole story. Hell yeah. <laughs> my middle name, Jeff, know the whole Jeff story. Wagner. Wagner. Yep. So, <laughs> but you know, that also, also results in me shedding a lot of my collection over the years. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's been lucrative. Sometimes I'm just stuck with crap, but anyway, yeah, there's, there's some crazy percussion in this part, in this song. So let's, uh, let's take a listen. This is Verso Il Sole. <laughs> Thank you. 
So you know your percussion. What was that we're hearing? Without confirming, I believe that was a crotale, um, ah, okay. which is, is commonplace in uh, percussion-heavy uh, 20th century classical music. I'm thinking, always, as, as I always do, of uh, Edgar Varese's great percussion piece, Ionization. Um, but I, I, I think, again, um, the use of that instrument um, ties uh, Corte back into, you know, this um, sort of binary relationship with uh, rock music and classical music. Every time I, th I th Varese comes up, I think of Frank Zappa because he was a huge. Oh yeah, he, he actually corresponded with Varese. Yeah, he was a huge fanatic of Varese. So yes, well, uh, can you explain the mechanism of that instrument as well? I, I mean, yeah, it's basically a, a, um, pieces of wood that are hollowed out to um, different degrees to to create uh, different tones or different pitches, rather. Um, Is it set up the same way like a piano or a xylophone keyboard would be? No. Um, no. typically they're, they're sort of independently mounted off of stands. All right. Um, and it's kind of sort of semi-spherical, um, and, and then struck with mallets or sticks. I just didn't know if there was like a 12 note setup. I don't, I don't know that they're set up on a 12, 12 tone scale or anything like that, right. okay. but, um, they're, they're definitely pitched and, and definitely, uh, meant to be played. And as they such. sound great. And I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, they really th this band uses it so well. And it listening to this, it makes me wish that they were, this kind of percussion was utilized just a little bit more by some of the other bands that were, you know, kind of more rhythmic in, in nature. Right. And they rock it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and really speaking of that, you know, the next song, Una Storia Fiabesca translates to a fairy tale story. It, to me, the meat of the song is not as remarkable, but then we get this dark ambush in the middle. That's yes. got some fantastic percussion. Yes. Let's, let's listen and uh, we'll talk about when we get back. I like Dark Ambush too. <laughs> Great band. <laughs> Great German thrash band. No. <laughs>
I'm glad we decided to continue after we played the first song. We, we were thinking about <laughs> knocking this episode in the head, but I, I'm kind of glad we, we continued. For everyone's benefit. <laughs> For ours. It was great. Yeah. Carrying on. Actually, I want to talk about the artwork a little bit. We talked about it a little bit with Semiramis, and uh, of course the Alpha Taurus has some pretty cool, um, remarkable artwork. Um, this one has these two old men. They both have canes. They're not doing too well. One of the guys is bandaged up from the knee down. Who knows how far down you can't see maybe from the neck down. And um, they're kind of like, kind of look very concerned about this rocket that's above them. Yeah, right. And, and the rocket is a, sort of like vapor trail behind it. Yeah. I, well, the vapor trail. Okay. I, I, to me, it looks like yarn. <laughs> well, there's yarn, but then there's the vapor trail like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah coming okay. out of the actual exhaust. Right. It looks like the, the rocket just farted maybe. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not a great rendering of, of tailpipe smoke, I wouldn't imagine. And they're like, should we go through this archway or shouldn't we? Yeah, they're, they're just, they just don't look really sure about the situation. They're not, no, it's, it's a bad situation. <laughs> but I got to tell you, we're making fun of it, but I, I love the rendering. To me, it just evokes a certain kind of sci-fi pulp yes. sort of uh, quality, like you're reading a, a sci-fi pulp magazine from the Absolutely. or something, which always pairs well with Prague as far as I'm concerned. Moving on, uh, there's a song we're not going to play. It's called Il Ritual Noturno, The Nightly Ritual. This is another great one. No snippet because we might just save it for Badass Fusion Decapitations Part 2 because it's got that sort of frantic kinetic moment in it. Very symphonic and rich in other spots. Reminds me of Le Orme once, once again. Let's move on to the next song, uh, E Du Amante, which is Two okay. Lovers. A lot of cosmic elements here mixed with this romantic atmosphere, kind of fitting of the title, I guess and then some serious madness. We're going to listen to a bit from the six minute mark and yet more malleted percussion. And they're even panning that sound left to right. It's just this beautiful kind of spastic madness. So um, <laughs> let's check that out. And um, we'll talk about it a little more. There's, there's another thing I want to note about this song when we get back. Very good. Thank you. 
lots to chew on there. Yeah. A lot of uh, like tension and opposition in that. You get this, those really pastoral melodies and then just batshit uh, rhythm section. <laughs> um, and, 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 two, and I don't, I don't know. Whenever I hear that synth come in, it reminds me of like a 70s like BBC like news intro. Right. Yeah. War in the Falklands. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the Falklands was the 80s, early 80s, if you want to get technical. I remember Alexander Haig. Tell me your thoughts on the Rwanda crisis. <laughs> Back to Manel- Metallomania, our favorite. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, the, the final moments of this album, and of course that song, um, the tape is slowed down gradually. It's kind of like the reverse effect you hear on Black Sabbath's War Pigs, right. um, which kind of just speeds it up and ends. But this really brings to mind another album ending thing, which is Kisses Black Diamond. I know it's a weird parallel to make, but that just, you know, they slow the tape down. Just yeah, yeah, I hear that. And slower. It gets infernal and otherworldly and kind of almost creates this like nauseous effect. Like, like it's something that's just growing too big and bulky to do anything, but like <laughs> right. crash landing, you know, <laughs> so it's an excellent ending to an excellent album. A lot of darkness, a lot of light, a lot of everything in between. Uh, anything else you want to say about Corti de Miracoli before we uh, move on? Nothing that they've not said for themselves. Uh, very good. By the, by the record. Very good. Uh, speaking of buying the record, um, this is the cheapest of the three if you want the original version on vinyl. It goes for about $300. I'm not sure why the disparity between Semiramis at $1,200 and Alpha Taurus at an amount that we'll uh, reveal later. I don't know why. It, it was on Grog Records, which is about even more obscure than Trident um, <laughs> as a label. But yeah, anyway, uh, if you got a spare $300 kicking around, go, go, go get it. If it not, the CDs are available for, for much less cost and uh lest you need reminding aren't cds still fucking amazing yes thank you yes they're like little records get over yourself jack white you don't know nothing jack white don't know shit <laughs> okay so what you know about alpha taurus jack white <laughs> now I, I i'll i'll probably edit this out but i'm quoting uh he was quoted in a rolling stone article recently about saying how how o- the only people that buy cds are Walmart customers. I'm like, fuck oh, off, come dude. Come on, man. You son of a bitch. Come on. You don't get it. Yeah, you That's don't. arrogant. Yeah, I'll probably keep this in. I, I, respect <laughs> him. I respect the guy highly, actually. He makes great guitars out of wood and yarn. Whatever. <laughs> That's literally the second time that the word yarn has appeared in this podcast. Well, I mean, if, if I can tie <laughs> yarn in with flute, then now we're talking. Oh, you got a yarn flute there? <laughs> Is that like the skin flute? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like the G-rated version of the skin flute. Oh, Lord. Let's... In, anywho. Final album of the evening. Uh, yes. This is not the last time we're going to visit rock progressive Italiano, but uh, it, it's been the first. I love this album so much. So we're going to jump back to 1973. This is Alpha Taurus. It's a self-titled album. Let's just listen to the first track. It's called Peccato Deroglio, Sin of Pride. Thank you. 
sei stato finora Fai una scelta Ripensati ancora I love this album. Why do you love this album? It's, I mean, it's, it's probably the heaviest and the roundest of these albums that, that we've discussed tonight, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, there's a cosmic dimension to this album. I guess it's a, a little less zany than um, the Corte and the Semiramis albums. For sure. Um, but it, I just think it's so well-balanced and so well-written. And it, it's just, as you'll hear um, in the next track, it has a, a link, a, even maybe a more direct link to uh, 70s proto-metal than the other, certainly more than Corte, um, but I think maybe even more than, um, than Semiramis. Semi, yeah, Semiramis I mean, appropriated that influence in a different way. I, 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 like, I, I think that Alpha Taurus was probably listening to, to Black Sabbath and Bang or Sir Lord Baltimore, whatever else. I mean, I, I, hear, I hear the way that they use that influence in a much more direct way. I agree with just about everything you said. I'm not sure. I, I mean, do I love it as much as you? Maybe not, but I, like I'm 99% of the way there. It's, it's a top 10 for me probably in Italian prog. But I, I hear you, man. There's a, there's a great emotional gravity to it. And yes. there, is, there is more of a rock heft. You know what I mean? Yeah, heft is the perfect word. And, and I think also more than the other two that we've played tonight, they really show older influences a bit more. I mean, uh-huh. there's clear links to like the early hard rock stuff what dumbass is called dinosaur rock, but we'll just use that because everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, you know, and there's, there's also folk and classical, plenty of sixties influence. I, I, and I think, I almost think Semiramis and court of miracles almost bypass some of that. You know what I mean? They do. No, no, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, just, but this album's a little more measured in its approach. Just right. But still weird speaking. enough and otherworldly like, enough. That absolutely. Weirdos like you and I love it. Maybe it's a little, maybe what appeals to me is like the, the emotional directness of it. For sure. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of emotional gravity on this one. I can't say that about Semiramis. Semiramis is like a shock. Um, Semi Ramos is like an acid trip through a house of mirrors. For sure. Yeah. I, here's another thing about rocking. Like when Italian bands rocked, they did it with such wild abandon. I, and I think about yes. most of the English bands that everybody's, you know, probably more familiar with. They were, for the most part, a lot more reserved, even at their most rocking. Yeah. And I, I it's taking I, nothing I don't know away. that I want to like dabble in cultural stereotypes, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a an Englishness. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. The way they rocked. Now, general. now, can King Crimson rip your head off the way no Italian band can? Yes, of course, absolutely, absolutely. But I just find that the the rock that the Italians will infuse into their prog is just a lot more rocking. It's a lot freer and a lot looser. Whereas Genesis is, you know, they could rock, but they were disciplined. Vanercraft uh, right. could rock, but also disciplined to some degree. Yeah, there's a like an uninhibited spirit to the italian bands yeah for sure for sure so i also want to mention the guy's voice this guy is great because he kind of lacks that overblown melodrama that can ruin it or be an acquired taste i think this guy's just got a classic rock sort of vibe like just perfect yeah so let's move on to the second song um dopo luragano after the storm this is kind of heavy like some new trolls yeah no this this one yeah it's clearly tied into the proto-metal tradition. And that's kind of what you were talking about earlier, how we were going to get to that. Yeah, I mean, 
there are other Italian bands that this reminds me of, like New Trolls or Boleto de Bronzo. I have um, Big Lieta Pale Inferno, too. Yeah, that's a good call. Yep. Amazing vocals on this one. Almost, to me, I'm probably always thinking of Rob Halford <laughs> for oh. a lot of reasons. He's, he's my favorite vocalist of all time. But, you know, just in terms of balancing, like, power and expression, like, this guy does it in a way that reminds me of, like, some 70s-era Halford. Yeah, great um, call. And then there's a weird moment in this after that, not heard in the snippet, we're going to play. Um, there's a wackiness that kind of rivals Semiramis. So yeah, let's just check it out. This is uh, Dopo Luragano. Especially like when uh, the really heavy guitars kick in and you hear those string bends, it really kind of reminds me like something off of a sabotage. Um, like By Black Sabbath. Yeah, it, it, Black Sabbath. If sabotage. some dummy out there doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. No offense to the dummies. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know it, please go buy Sabotage. Oh, good Maybe God. even before you buy these records. That's 100%. Yeah, right it there. totally reminds me like something like Megalomania. Yeah, and... Uh, like Semiramis does, there's a lot of ideas within that little snippet, much less what we didn't hear. And you can hear where the song is starting to go at the very end of our snippet. Yeah. Yeah. Love the guy's voice too. He's just, he's laying it all out. Nice, um, the next song is a shorter one. It's uh, called Chroma. And I did a little research on that title. It's, it's the make of a Fiat automobile. <laughs> so it's got a bizarre kind of circusy opening. It's, it's really gorgeous and spacious. It's a nice little break almost like a little bit of levity almost because um, a lot of this is just emotionally pretty heavy. It's huge enough that I think in terms of like soundtracks, just a bit of proud bombast. I, it's kind of like Andrew Lloyd Webber minus the schmaltz. <laughs> yeah, no, it is schmaltzless. <laughs> uh, the next song, Lamente Vola, The Mind Is, uh, you wanted to play a particular snippet here uh, for, for a particular reason, I think. I, I, this is just like one of my favorite openings period 
um, just such incredible atmosphere. It's, it's different, but it reminds me of, um, not, doesn't necessarily remind me of it, but it has the same kind of emotional effect that like, um, that clip that we played from super sister from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, it has that kind of effect on me. Good call, man. And, and I'll always take a super sister reference, but I, I haven't heard that until now, but now I see it. I also had written in my notes, see if Hunter mentions Pulsar. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I have a feeling that there's going to be a Pulsar show at some point. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, it's maybe yeah. a bit more agile and nimble than them, but this is, a, this is Italy. So they're just a little. It still has that, yeah. It still has yeah. that like cosmic melancholy about it. Right. Pulsar were a little bit more formal, but um, yeah, this is a fantastic segment and uh, great choice. Uh, let's get to La Mente Vola. collaborate on a lot of our picks but um i do a lot of them and hunter does a, a good share of them as well and he picked that one and i gotta thank you personally for picking that because that that alone made me just love that song and this album and this band again seriously oh, yeah absolutely what a great and beautiful moment that is oh it's gorgeous yeah it is it's it's filmic um 
and I like I I heard Goblin in there, um, sure. and I love all the flourishes on top. But like what what I tend to miss about it that I heard this time was this like little tiny rhythmic cell inside of it that sort of unifies everything. I could hear almost like a like a Terry Terry Riley kind of a, a thing in there. Um, oh, interesting, because yeah, usually you're listening to the kind of melodic sort of like synth waves in it, you know. Right. Well, I mean, I think your ear just sort of naturally goes toward those things. Right. Well, that's the beauty of listening to music and, and kind of revisiting stuff over and over is you really do. I think more than any other art form, you start to use you, you can you can unpeel layers forever sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, and I and I certainly think that this album and this that song in particular is one of them. And you know, we can talk about the, what we didn't hear. In the second part of that song, there's like all these dark synths that really kind of continue raising the song up to other levels. Right. And then there's like this synth storm at the end. It's yes. it's just a synthesizer storm. It's just like, damn. Yeah. Which is my favorite kind of a storm. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Finally, we arrive at the end of this album and episode. We have um, the concluding track from the Alpha Taurus album called Ombra Muta. Ombra Muta. Ombra, nice, nice R roll there. I can't roll my R's very well. Can you do that again? Ombra Muta. <laughs> Translates to shadow mute. Yes. Um, this is, like I said of the final um, Semiramis song, Clown, this is quintessential Alpha Taurus. Really textured, really high energy. I probably talk about all these three bands too much, but it's ending minutes is kind of like early Scorpions meets early Judas priest. Um, But in a dungeon where they're meeting King Crimson, I mean, it's, (laughs) it's just great stuff. But anyway, let's listen to a little bit of uh, shadow mute to end this thrilling, thrilling episode.
can't imagine a better way to end this show. <laughs> it literally just sounded like Alpha Taurus just played us out, right? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Thanks, guys. I, I think we can agree at this point. I mean, the, uh, the evidence is there that Alpha Taurus was certainly more entrenched in uh, 70s rock traditions than Semiramis or Corte. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Most definitely. Yeah, I, and, I, and I love that about them. Um, and, and it just, I mean, it really kind of um, underscores the flexibility of, of Italian Prague, I guess Prague in general. But, yeah, you know, guys, if, if you haven't uh, gotten into Italian Prague, if you haven't explored this vast landscape, we would highly recommend that you do. Other bands that we haven't talked about tonight that are, are well worth knowing, Biglietto, Pearl Inferno, um, Oboletto de Bronzo, Orme, uh, PFM, Metamorphosi. Banco del Mature. Oh, God. Bon yeah, how could I possibly forget? There, there's Bonco. a bunch of others. I mean, it's... Oh, there's tons of, tons of others. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it, it's a really fascinating scene. Fasc um, fascinating is the word for it. Dive in and it'll, it'll, be, a, it'll be a lifelong pursuit, I, I guarantee you. I, there have been times when I'm like, I think I have enough Italian prog. And then somehow I get turned on to some other one. I'm like, I got to have that. Like, that is incredible. Oh, yeah, oh no, 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 no. Oh, oh um, I, another uh, personal favorite of mine um, that, I don't, that you and I haven't even talked that much about is the uh, Cherry 5 record. Love that. Which yeah. is to be a pre-goblin and is yeah. just absolutely fantastic. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Uh, and if you, you know, if you want a copy of the Alpha Taurus record, it's only $2,000 on the original vinyl on uh, the Magma label. Yeah. Um, you know, don't, don't be a cheapskate, you know? Yeah, fuck. Come on, man. It's, it's worth it. Support these people. Jeez. <laughs> support the vendor who's, who's hoarding a copy for sure. Um, CD copies, thankfully, on all this stuff, I think are all pretty reasonable. I mean, music is valuable. And if it's 30 bucks, that's, that's like two beers, two really high gravity beers at a bar, maybe. And uh, right. those disappear really quickly. And, um, yes. and these will be with you forever. forever. I don't want to get too preachy about that sort of stuff. But music is super valuable. And uh, yeah, if, you, if you're turned on by any of this and it's 20 bucks and, and you, can, you can find the funds to do it, please do it. It's a lot of fun. Dive. Again, and as always, thanks so much for listening and being interested in all this weird shit we love so much. Please join us for episode 10, where we're going to let go and let Gin. And by that I mean you'll be introduced to a handful of bands I have dubbed Ginkor after my friend and fellow researcher. That's all we're going to tell you now, but all will be revealed in two weeks. Join us then. It'll be a really fun show.